0: people can begin dramatic transformations, but it requires behavior change, which is not easy, which is hard. And it was really the experience of seeing my dad go through this with respect to his prediabetes, having that completely resolved, having him drop a ton of weight without trying, having him get into a much better place in terms of his health. You begin to realize, I just did not know everything. I didn't learn everything I needed to know in medical school. And we do a great job with acute accidents and illnesses, but we are completely missing the boat on chronic disease.
1: Dr. William B.J. Lawson joins me on today's podcast, and this is a special one because there's no one that's had more of an impact into my professional career than B.J. I've worked for B.J. not once, but twice. You'll hear the story in this episode. He is a brilliant man, an M.D., an entrepreneur, and someone who really cares about others, a man of integrity, and he's got lots of stories to share. So enjoy this conversation with B.J. Lawson. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. Dr. William Lawson, a.k.a. BJ Lawson, thanks for joining me and inviting me into your house and doing this in a time where we don't get a chance to do too much in person and to say thank you for providing for me. Do you mind if I share a quick story? Oh, not at all. I'm sitting here in North Carolina because you decided to do something crazy in your career without knowing it. The ripple effects that we have in our lives, where a decision that you make to step away from a residency program to start a business influences this college kid in Southwest Virginia to come down to North Carolina. And now I'm raising my family here, which is so cool.
0: It is. We take an amazing path. Everything happens for a reason, and that's pretty obvious in retrospect, although it's certainly not obvious while you're going through it, but getting to enjoy meeting you and just Seeing how our paths have continued to intersect over the years has been a continuous blessing in our lives as well.
1: I think that's a really neat part about life, like you said, is you can look back and see where God was working when you had no idea. So before that happened, what made you say that you wanted to become a doctor?
0: Well, growing up, I had great experiences when I was a kid working with people in our medical community back home in Lakeland, Florida. I uh, volunteered at a large multi-specialty clinic, the Watson Clinic, when I was in high school. I got to know and and do work with some really neat guys, cardiologists there, and I I actually did a project over one summer as a high school kid that involved creating a body surface area-based dosing protocol for a commonly used blood thinner called heparin. You know, as a high school kid, I was a little bit over the top, but I had really, really good folks that I was working with there, and it was a fantastic experience. And I just, I like the medical environment. I like the idea that you were doing well by doing good and acting in service to others and helping people get better. So it was sort of a natural fit that really did fit in with the ethos of fundamentally doing well by doing good. And going then to engineering school before going to medical school, engineering was fantastic because it was a great way to look at the world from a problem solving systems optimization perspective. And then combining that into medical school, just it it just made sense. It felt right intellectually at the time. And so you went from Florida to North Carolina, and that's what brought you here to go to Duke. How did Duke get on your radar? I'd be lying if I didn't say something about basketball. I mean, I was a high school senior when, when Leitner hit the shot. Basketball was certainly part of the draw, but I think the other big part of the draw was my girlfriend, now wife Jolynn, went to school at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina, about four hours away from Duke. And the other school I was looking at was MIT. And MIT was fantastic. I had a great time visiting. I I gave it serious thought when I was admitted, but the biggest problem with MIT was that it was 12 hours away from Lynn as opposed to four hours away from Lynn. And then the other issue was you know when you visit there in november and the sun's going down at three thirty in the afternoon you're like wow there's just not a lot of sunlight up here and boston's a great city great place to visit but i had a, t- I had a tough time envisioning myself actually living there
1: talk about ripple effects where of course jillian played a role into it and then leitner shot and then this is the part that i find fascinating so you're on a path you're on a path to become a doctor and you go through engineering school, you go through med school, and then after that, of course, you're not done. You have to go through a residency program. So, tell us about the residency program you decided to do, and what happened halfway through.
0: Sure, and and I was early on impacted in medical school. I had a, a great friend in medical school, Melissa Wellens. Her husband Jay was a neurosurgery resident at Duke, and that plus the experience of having a good family friend from. Lakeland, our hometown, diagnosed with a brain tumor where he came and, and sought care at Duke, put me right up close with an area of medicine that I'd never really seen before. I, I'd done a lot of work in and around cardiology as a high schooler, then going into college, continued that interest. But neurosurgery and, and the neurological sciences really captured my attention from pretty early on in medical school. And I was just blown away, fascinated by the nervous system and the brain and the implications for the brain and what that means for who we are as humans. So I really ended up moving in that direction and ended up applying to and matching in residency to start neurosurgical training at Duke. But all along that path, I always had this mentality that was constantly asking why, in terms of why are we doing things the way we're doing things. And can we make this better can we optimize this system and i think a lot of that comes from engineering school and it was pretty clear going through medical school first of all and looking at the lives of the residents and the physicians and the attendings you begin to see that there's a lot that happens in the healthcare system and in the hospital in particular that's just at the time it was just slow and inefficient just incredibly burdensome manual paperwork and data gathering so You begin to look at this from the perspective of someone who went to engineering school to optimize systems and think, wow, there's got to be a better way to do this. So I was a little bit distracted as I got into my clinical rotations in the last couple of years of medical school, working on a software system that would attempt to alleviate the burden of manual pre-rounding. So what this means is when you're a doctor in the hospital, you need to know who your patients are, where they're located, what their test results show. And... In the old days of the late 90s, there wasn't a good way to do that in an automated fashion. You had lots of different systems that you had to log into, find charts, call all this data, hunt and gather it, and then write it onto paper index cards. And as a result, the lowest folks in the totem pole were getting to the hospital at you know, 4, four o'clock, 4.30 in the morning to pre-round and write all this information down and then present it to the senior people on the pyramid at 5.30, 6 o'clock for rounds and what have you. And you begin to realize that, gosh, this problem doesn't go away when I go into practice after I leave the academic center. I'm, I'm still going to have to figure out a way to get this information. So therein grew the awareness that maybe we could figure out a better way to do this and pull this data electronically out of these different systems. And at the time, the old Palm Pilot organizers were all the rage. Everyone was beaming their business card back and forth so it seemed like a natural extension of my engineering training really to see if there's a way to alleviate this problem for residents at duke which then ended up taking on a life of its own uh, with my co-founder alan ying and a great team of people that we brought together to help bring this product this solution to hospitals and help physicians in practice avoid the hassle of having to hunt and gather their data every morning
1: yeah so i love that so you're using your engineering background to say like here's a problem and maybe you were like on the, the lower end of that tone ball, like, why do I want to get there early and do all this data gathering?
0: Exactly, exactly. And it was, a, you know, it's a burdensome, air prone system. And if we could just get everybody on the same page and say, hey, here's the data, have that show up on a silver platter. That seems like a net win for everybody, including the patients, ultimately, who are depending on their physicians, knowing what's going on. So that was kind of how things started. But, you know, as you mentioned that kind of choice has implications and when we started saying okay we're going to do this and we started to build a prototype and then we get that prototype running at another hospital outside of duke where i was training and we took some money from friends and family to kind of make this a commercial venture you begin to realize well you just can't really do things part-time when you're a neurosurgical resident that's just not really an option it's all in and At the time, it was a tough choice, but it was the right choice to leave residency and pursue growing that company full time, which glad I did, because that was the opportunity to meet you as well. And and a lot of other great people who ended up being just friends and collaborators for years going forward. Wow. Well, take me back to that moment where you had to make that decision, because I know what it's like to have a
1: part time hobby and passion. Right. And then all of a sudden this balloons into something big, especially when you take people's investment money. And so when was that moment that you had to make that call?
0: And it's not like I can point out one moment where that decision crystallized. It was just a growing awareness that based on the success and the need that we perceived in the market, a choice had to be made. At some point, it was also, I give a lot of credit to Lynn, my wife, because she was willing to head out into the great unknown as well. Because you, if you go down the road of being a medical student and a resident and a physician, that path is pretty well worn and there are expectations around what that looks like in terms of work-life balance. Not all of it great, mind you, but the idea that there's delayed gratification and at some point you're going to get paid for the effort that you've put into developing this specific skill set. At some point in that fourth year of medical school, this could be something. There's sort of that seed planted in the back of your mind. And then going into intern year when you're trying to do both things, and it's clearly not a sustainable proposition you to like, yeah, we have to make a decision here. The one conversation or the two conversations I, I do remember were the conversations with Alan Friedman, the chief of the division of neurosurgery, and Ted Pappas, the director of the internship, the surgical training program at Duke. Both of those were kind of crystallized in my memory, who were understanding, as understanding as they could be. Now, the fortunate thing, the great thing is just because the program at Duke is so small, they only take two interns or at the time they only took you know, two residents a year into the program, there was a a fantastic, fantastically qualified, just great, great guy who's ironically from my own hometown, who was in my medical school class, who was also interested in neurosurgery and who was doing a transitional intern year at Duke who was just super guy, perfectly qualified. They basically swapped him for me. I was able to step back. The program was not left shorthanded and he's you know on faculty at Duke today doing vascular work. And and uh, so it, it all worked out. And I, I would have had a much tougher time pulling that trigger if I had felt like I was putting the department at a significant loss because there's work that's gotta be done. And when you've got a program that admits that matches two people a year, and all of a sudden half of your, class says, Hey, you know what, I'm going to go do something else. If there's not a good way to backfill that responsibility, that would have made the decision a lot tougher. So clearly everything was lined up and it, it, it felt like, and was the right move and, you know, looking back on it, it went the way it was supposed to go.
1: And that's the, the fun part is that you don't know how it's going to go. Like you make that big change. And fortunately you have the support of jo Lynn, and she knows what she's saying yes to. She's saying yes to the more the unknown path of this crazy entrepreneur venture. And so here you go. So you make that decision, you go down the path and the company's called Mercury MD. You go launch it, you raise the money and you find success in the marketplace with it. Were there any mentors or people that helped you make that transition from being a doctor to an entrepreneur?
0: You know, I think over that experience of growing and launching the company company, we were looking for mentors wherever we could find them. Our chief operating officer, Mike Munch, great guy, director of sale, VP of sales, uh, Gary Abrams. And then the investors we had in our, our board, the guys from Greensboro were fantastic. And then Dr. Joe Jenkins, one of our board members who we continue to collaborate with today, just a fantastic guy. I mean, you know, I think Joe in particular it was someone who was just always alongside us at Mercury MD and just really has a, the heart of a, a, an innovator and someone who wants to make the world a better place. So we were just really blessed to have a great team of exceptional individuals who came together around this idea and this mission and helped us, I think, reach the full potential that we had as an organization at the time.
1: Yeah. And so how did you transform? Uh, and where did you find your sweet spot in the business when you went from being a resident to a co-founder of a growing tech startup?
0: i think the biggest transition for me was the recognition of how important it is to build teams and build processes and build operational systems that can effectively function without my doing all the work and there's a lot of training that happens in the healthcare system where you're basically pushed to the limits of your mental and physical endurance and it's almost a badge of honor in the days before work hour restrictions and eighty hour work weeks for residents and whatnot, it's almost a badge of honor to shoulder more and more and more of the load, which has some benefits to building muscle memory and increasing the depth of the learning that you're that that you're experiencing, but over time may, might not be the most sustainable. And certainly, you know, it's different when you're in your 20s and when you're in your 40s. But in business, really what makes businesses successful is having a team that's united around the mission and having the ability to bring together people among this common goal and, and share and communicate in a way that's sustainable for the long term and where you're not putting individuals in the position of having to sacrifice their mental health, their sanity, their family life to the degree that I think, ultimately can happen in healthcare if you're not careful, so I think that was the biggest transition for me was just recognizing the importance of building a great team and, and and being able to step back and let other people do what they wanted to do and what they were very good at and not feel like you had to do it all yourself micromanage et cetera well in in your office you have this
1: framed picture uh mercury of d so tell the listeners where that came from and what happened with that
0: well that's that you know, that's a precious memento i you know I think the Experience we had ultimately led to the acquisition of Mercury MD by Thompson Corporation back in 2006, I believe, and that was just you know the signed memento of, of all the folks who were on the team when that acquisition happened, which. Well, that was an education in itself, too. And I think the, the folks on the management team and everybody in the organization who went through that process learned a lot about the transition from a scrappy 70-some person startup to a large corporation. And you know, we continue to apply the lessons that you've learned that, we, that going through a process like that in life today as well.
1: Well, it's just so great because like I said, you did all the hard work, you make the decision, you you identify the problem and the challenge, then you make the decision to leave residency, start the business, make it a success, and then it allows opportunities for people like myself just to jump into this great organization and culture that you created with a clear vision of data in every hospital. I just thought that was so Great. Right. The clarity of knowing data in all the hospitals. And so we were out there to try to help improve that. And you did such a wonderful job of painting the picture alongside your co-founder. And and then the story that I love to share, too, is you trained me on the software, which was so neat because here I am as a new employee. And then we have the co-founder, the physician, the doctor come into the room. And there's a level of expectations of you must expect to be talked down to but then how you presented it was so humble and gracious and just sharing with us, like, hey, I want to make sure you understand what the process is like. And so here's what the doctor's feeling. Here's the frustration. Here's the technology, what we just built. That was just really refreshing for me to see leadership communicate in such a real and authentic way.
0: Well, it's it's great to hear you say that. And I think one of the things that made our organization successful at the time was that we really did approach solving this problem as something that we're doing for the benefit of others. It's not, this isn't, predatory corporatism in the sense that we're trying to establish a position that's going to force people to pay us money. This is a chance to create some real value and practice what I have come to really appreciate is honest, virtuous capitalism, which is really how we can do well by serving other people and meeting other people's needs and putting something into the marketplace that allows folks to get home from the hospital quicker. It allows doctors to have a better, more fulfilling home life because they're not Constantly burdened by stuff that's going on back at the hospital back in the day, so you know it it, it is and and it was a mission at the time, and I think that's ultimately what makes great organizations is when you've got a mission, and it's it's funny you can remember the mission statement that's like branded into our all of our brains, right, dated every user in every hospital, and you fast forward to today, you know, what are we doing? We're talking about reversing chronic disease, and that clarity of mission, that clarity of initiative to know that this is a way that we can go about in our daily lives and. Make the world just a little bit better of a place, you know, and and to show people what's possible in their lives to just move a little bit in the direction towards a better, more fulfilling, happier existence. Why not focus on that stuff?
1: Yeah. And that's rewarding work, right? And so it would have been too easy for you to continue down the path of a corporate executive, just like it would have been too easy for you to finish up your residency program when you saw this opportunity with Mercury MD because after the acquisition, you decided to chase a new lion, and that was going into politics for a season. So what do you want to reflect on during that season of your life?
0: Yeah, that was a, that was a short season, fairly impactful, learned a lot. I was extremely motivated and concerned by what I perceived to be just a lack of appreciation for honest dialogue and servant leadership in our political system and i think my specific interest was piqued hearing a retired now retired texas congressman named ron paul speak at a debate in south carolina where he basically just said hey you know what our foreign policy the stuff we've been doing overseas doesn't make a whole lot of sense and then watching how he was just pilloried and just Personally, just just the the vitriol that was directed against him personally as a result of expressing an opinion that was, in my mind, a rational opinion that deserves some conversation, you begin to realize, wow, this system is just not set up to reward honest dialogue. And that coupled with I think a growing awareness of the importance of healthcare as a political issue as well as a personal issue, uh, as we were going into that season, I threw my hat in the ring and ran for. U.S. Congress in North Carolina's fourth district in 2008 and then again in 2010, which at the time, had I known more, it was predestined to be unsuccessful just given the demography of the districts. When you look at a district that has been represented by the same congressman for, you know, at the time, I think 22 years or something, it was not a district that you could flip in terms of the election, But it was a good conversation. And we gave out probably 70,000, 80,000 bound copies of our U.S. Constitution and Declaration of Independence with really just a simple idea that, hey, you know what, Washington actually does have a rule book. And if we aren't excited about the results that we're getting from our federal government, maybe we should compare its behavior to what was articulated in our founding documents in terms of the reason we have a government. And do we live in a democracy? Everyone talks about spreading democracy, but is democracy not better understood as two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for dinner? And in fact, the reason we have a constitutional republic and not a democracy is that we can protect the rights of the ultimate minority, which is the individual, it's a sheep, and just have a rule book that says, you know what, we need to actually respect the life and the liberty and the pursuit of happiness of the individual who is the ultimate minority. So having that sort of philosophical framework and and thinking that maybe we should be talking about healthcare as a system that should be pursuing health as opposed to simply medicating disease. So that's what I did for four years. And, you know, we didn't win votes, but we we had a great grassroots campaign and we actually did move the needle on some local elections at the time and, and met some good people and some folks who continue to be friends and collaborators to this day.
1: I just love that you put yourself in the arena, in the game. And once again, just going into the unknown and trying something. And shout out to Jolynn, once again for signing off on this decision. I'm assuming that just like she was okay with Mercury of D, she gave you the green light with the politics. Yeah, she
0: was a huge part of that. And I think it was the reason I backed away, one of the reasons I backed away from it, because it was fairly destructive to family life. And the kids, when we started this over a period of four years, kids grew up a lot. And I think you know, we were just in elementary school. Our oldest was just in elementary school when we started. Getting into middle school when we finished, it's just a lot to put kids through. And that was also a time after that season was over to really refocus on the family. And just, you know, we we ended up at that point going and starting homeschooling, which was a fantastic experience for the next season that we really spent, focused on just raising our children and just focusing on what we could do to be a better family and 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 give our kids a foundation that we felt would serve them well
1: so you invest into time with your family and of course being the entrepreneur that you are and wanting to solve problems you once again do the hard thing you don't go back into what might be easy uh, in the medical field or what might be easy in a maybe you know a consulting or a corporate job based on your previous success you decided to start a new company. So uh, share with us about the, the current venture that you're leading.
0: Well, and I, and I think this actually started, the whole vision for Ehop Health, our, our current company, started really right after Mercury MD was acquired by Thompson. It was in 2007, my dad called me in a panic after he had been just, just been diagnosed as a pre-diabetic. And one of the other reasons, going back to the decision to leave medic- medicine and, and the practice of medicine, I ultimately became convicted going through four years of medical school and, and just starting residency that so much of what we were seeing in the hospital was avoidable. So much of the conditions that we are treating, we're treating them at the, an end stage and we're looking at conditions that never had to get as bad as we were trying to deal with them. It's like, why don't we try to head this stuff off at the past? What are we doing trying to patch things up at the tail end of this debilitating process of chronic disease? Is there a way to actually turn back the clock on this stuff, actually make this stuff better? And fast forward to a day when my my dad calls me to say that he's now a pre-diabetic and he's freaked out about it. And I'd seen what diabetes had done in my family with an uncle who died after, you know, amputations and kidney failure and and losing his sight and all that. And begin to realize, well, this is the prototypical example for a chronic disease that is endemic within our population, but it's something for which our current healthcare system does not know how to fix. All it can do is sort of manage this downward descent. And I've been doing some reading that suggested that, you know, actually type 2 diabetes might be something that can actually go away if you deal with the root cause. And that really hit me because, right, going back to all the way back to engineering school, it's understanding root cause analysis. What's actually causing this problem that you're trying to fix and how can you optimize the system? Why aren't we having those conversations about healthcare? That ultimately is what informed the decision to you know, transition out of a political discussion about how to fix healthcare to, hey, let's actually look at healthcare as a system and maybe see if we can try to realign things in such a way that we can actually focus not just on managing chronic disease or treating the symptoms of chronic disease, but actually reversing it, making the symptoms, you know, taking the symptoms for what they are as a, as a clue to what's going on, but then ask the question, why am I having these symptoms? Why do these symptoms exist? And is there something in the environment that we can change or tweak or optimize to make those symptoms go away? Because when you do that, if you do that, the body is designed to actually heal itself, which is miraculous, right? When you're going through medical school and training and you realize, okay, I can do a surgery. The only reason I can do this surgery is because the body is going to heal itself. If I make this skin incision, when I sew that incision back up, I'm not actually fixing anything. I'm just bringing that skin close enough to the point that the skin itself will miraculously knit itself back together. That's healing. That's what the body does We need that process to be happening throughout all these other chronic diseases as well as just a simple surgical incision. And are there ways in which we can have the body heal itself from these chronic illnesses as opposed to just try to medicate the symptoms?
1: And that's how we connected because I had just completed a health coach training program through Duke Integrated Medicine. And I don't know what it was. I think a divine moment where I was just looking up old friends and I looked up what you were doing just on LinkedIn, saw this thing called ehop health. It appeared to me that you were helping people to coach them to health. And I had just finished this health coaching program and you get so excited about the opportunity and the possibility. This is my version of medical school in a much smaller scale of seeing like, wow, you can really change people and help them feel better. And so I was really looking at what might that look like in my career. And I remember I just reached out to you and we grabbed some coffee to chat about it. Oh
0: yeah, that was a that was a great great experience. I, I actually I got that note from you when we were on a Christmas vacation in Costa Rica, of all places, and middle of nowhere, very little internet. But the one the one thing. I got over the internet while i was briefly connected was a note through linkedin from justin thomas like no way justin thomas that's fantastic so yeah happy to set up that coffee and certainly glad that we reconnected because it it was clear that we were supposed to continue continue our collaboration at that point in time after our brief separation during which he did all kinds of cool and amazing things in ireland and beards and whatnot and you know here we are talking about reversing chronic disease but yeah it's just it's just such a Fantastic wake-up call to realize that, you know, we're actually gifted with this body that generally speaking has the ability to heal itself. And it's really a question of changing behaviors and understanding that the environment around us has changed so much over the past 40 to 50 years that when you look at our current trajectory of chronic disease, we're not the problem. It's not our fault. It's not that we as humans are suddenly genetically defective, it's we've just been dropped into an environment where we are being constantly bombarded by stuff that is completely out of alignment with who we are as humans. And the sooner we realize that, and the sooner we avoid the stuff that's hurting us and just fill our bodies with stuff that nourish us and help our bodies restore and repair themselves, people can begin dramatic transformations, but it requires behavior change, which is not easy, which is hard. And it was really the experience of seeing my dad go through this with respect to his prediabetes, having that completely resolve, having him drop a ton of weight without trying, having him get into a much better place in terms of his health. You begin to realize, I just did not know everything. I didn't learn everything I needed to know in medical school. And We do a great job with acute accidents and illnesses, but we are completely missing the boat on chronic disease, which is why we have this huge opportunity to give people not just hope, but certainty that their health can dramatically improve once they understand what's eating them and how what's eating them is driving what shows up on their plate and the choices that they're making uh, in terms of their daily lives.
1: And isn't it great that you had, I've heard you say it, no classes in health and nutrition as a medical student. And here you are leading a health and wellness company focused on reversing chronic disease.
0: Yeah, it's, it is pretty stunning. And I, and I think you know, to be fair, the medical system we have reflects the training of the people who go through it. We didn't have any classes on nutrition in medical school. Of course, you have have classes on physiology and you understand the nuts and bolts of how different fuels are metabolized in the body and so forth. But understanding the actual importance of what you eat or what you don't eat in terms of driving different disease processes, that never really came up. Everything we're doing is really predicated on managing symptoms and medicating symptoms. So that conversation has taken us to a certain place. Here's where we are. We can either look at our current reality and say, do we like this? Is this acceptable? Is this good? Is this the best we can do? Or we can look at the current reality and say, hey, you know what? Maybe there's a different way to look at this problem that we're facing of chronic disease, whether it's diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, or any of the downstream effects that turn into autoimmune inflammatory diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, you know, psoriasis, bowel conditions, neurological conditions, and even cancer. I mean, these are being driven by a process of chronic inflammation in the body. So what other questions could we ask about how to optimize our world, our life, our health so that the chronic inflammation that we're experiencing just stops, just goes away, and kind of get into a position where we are more living in alignment with how we're designed, which ultimately is really I think the goal from, should be the goal for most people once they understand what we're up against in terms of our our enemies that we face, in terms of our health.
1: Well, I just wanna say thank you for making such bold decisions in your career because
0: it has directly influenced My whole
1: life i mean it's just crazy to say i just want to say thank you for being so brave and bold in your career and always looking out for other people i think you're a great example of being a provider whether it was that professional track i'm sure you did great things in medical school and residency that i don't even know about and then even just getting into the program that you were one of two that's amazing and then just being bold and brave to go into the entrepreneurship venture that you did that directly hired me. And then even the things that you did indirectly to just want to solve problems and help people, whether that's through politics or starting businesses, and then being open to collaborating and creating just a healthy culture, which I just so appreciate.
0: I I guess it boils down to being open to possibilities, right? In the sense that if you're willing to be open to the possibility that what you did yesterday might not necessarily be what you're supposed to do tomorrow, but just kind of be open to what door might God be opening to, Hey, this is, this is something to check out. I can't say it's been easy at the time to make those kinds of decisions, but at the same time, they always seem like the right thing to do. And the other thing that really helped is picking the right spouse because having a partner like Lynn who's been, game to try this that and the other thing and comfortable with stepping off a little bit into the unknown it's just been an incredible journey to get to this point but at the same time i I feel like we're just getting started because this current mission that we're on to try to help people truly feel their best and understand that the next five years of their life does not need to be anything like the last five years of their life this is something where there's at least a generation's worth of work in terms of raising this awareness and helping people understand just how wonderfully gifted we we are in terms of our our body as a unique creation yeah we'll just we'll just have to see i don't i don't think the journey by is is by any means complete. I have no idea where it's going to go, but the fun part has been collaborating with you and our health coaches and the rest of the team, getting it to this small organization that we are today, but still with the opportunity and and the goals to positively influence a lot of people. That's exciting to see what will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I always say that to Amy, like,
1: I'm really curious where we're going to be a year from now. It
0: is. Well, and the other thing I think that helps is having friends who are willing to step outside the lines as well. So, It always helps when I can look at you and what you did as equally inspiring for me. Whether it's you know turning into a cow farmer or just deciding, hey, I'm going to go to Ireland to pursue an MBA. I mean, those are those are picking up roots and making dramatic shifts. So I, I think the when I when I look at our kids and how they're maturing and, and moving through life, what I hope and I pray for them is that they find. Friends and colleagues and folks that they can engage with who are going to bring out the best in them and let people, um, you know, let people into their circle who are going to not push them but just encourage them to think outside the box, ask good questions, and see where their path leads because we don't we don't know we don't know. The other big reason that I think Jolyn and I were comfortable stepping out in these different directions is that when you see so many people through the healthcare system with their lives and potential cut short you really value every day and when you're you know i looked at running for congress and like i'm 30 i've been cancer free for 36 years and i was 36 years when i started running or whatever it's like yeah yeah i don't know what tomorrow's gonna look like but why not only here once just take advantage of it and see what you can learn in the process
1: that's a great attitude well Thank you for sharing. As we wrap up, once again, thank you for, uh, I love your story. It's a great one. It's so inspiring. And as as we wrap up, uh, during this time of COVID-19 and just a crazy stressful year, what are ways that you are seeking to be provided for in this season of life for yourself?
0: That is a great, great question. And, you know, COVID has been such a remarkable experience to live through. I was extremely concerned about coronavirus in January, February, March, seeing what was going on in China and then following the early data. But the more we've learned about this thing and the more you realize that, no, this is actually a treatable condition if you are high risk. And most people are not high risk. And if you're not high risk, this is really just another virus that our bodies are designed to combat. The single biggest risk factor for bad outcomes is having out-of-control diabetes. It's diabetes, metabolic disease. It's the stuff that we know that's endemic that impacts our body's immune system's ability to fight back. So just everything that we can do and what what I've been trying to do is just manage stress, continue to focus on living a healthy life as best I can so I can take care of myself so I can show up for other people, and then helping our family adopt that same mantra, that same lifestyle to say, look, let's just focus on our overall health because we're built to be here. It's not an accident that we're here. And this is not some deadly bug that's designed to wipe out the world. That is quite clear at this point. And there are specific risk factors that increase the odds of a bad outcome. And what we can do is control what we can control. And if you can't, control it it's not worth worrying about but there is a whole lot that we can control in terms of our metabolic health and the health of our immune system and that's where we can focus for ourselves as well as to give hope to others who might have been you know unduly concerned or excessively concerned the one thing that i saw that started to give me a lot of hope way back in june was a paper published in the journal cell peer-reviewed journal great authors from from great centers who looked at people who had never seen the coronavirus before. They were supposed to be naive to this quote unquote novel coronavirus, but yet about 50%, about half of these people had T cells, had immune system cells that would recognize and react against the coronavirus. You begin to realize at that point, okay, this is, it might be hazardous to folks who are suffering from the most common chronic diseases that we all need to address today, But it's not something that our bodies aren't designed to handle. We just need to take care of ourselves and in doing so, make ourselves more resilient against this and other future threats that we may run into.
1: Yeah, that's inspiring. So, well, thank you for sharing. This has been a wonderful interview. Uh, Any last uh, parting words of encouragement for our, our listeners here?
0: Well, just thank you for the work that you're doing in inspiring and educating and encouraging people of all stripes, guys, especially to to be a provider. It is, I think, the highest calling to take care of your family, take care of your children, and to just do the work that we've been ordained here to do in terms of building the kingdom.
1: Listening to this episode before you take off, I wanted to ask if you would enjoy getting a short email from me every Wednesday called a kind word. It provides a little positivity to help you get over hump day. It's free and shares highlights of things that have brought me joy over the past week. If you want to start getting a kind word from me, simply sign up at justinthomascoaching.com by entering your email address, and you'll get the next one. That's justinthomascoaching.com. Thanks again for listening. Bless and protect.